and gentlemen, thank you for joining me for another episode of the Typical Septic Podcast. Okay, ladies and gentlemen, thank you for joining me for another episode of the Typical Skeptic Podcast. I have another fascinating guest. All my fans liked this man before he was on my show, um, Nathaniel Gillis. Um, he has amazing theories and research that he's put out. Um, we were just talking about on the show, the first show he ever did was Coast to Coast AM. And now he has his new, is he's going to have his own show on Leak Project with Rex Bear. So that's amazing. And he can tell you guys a little bit more about that. Let me tell you a little bit, if you're not, if you haven't watched my shows with Nathaniel or any other show he's done, I'll tell you a little bit more about him. Nathaniel Gillis is a demonologist and an author and a uh, researcher of alien contact, alien abduction phenomena. After living in a haunted house, Nathaniel spent 20 years researching what it, it was he encountered. Nathaniel is the founder of the Preternatural Epiphenomenal Philosophy. I always mess that up. Nathaniel has sought out to redefine the nature of haunting phenomena, ghosts, and high strangers in general. And he is often quoted for his concept on the demonic. The reason why they're playing by different rules is because they're playing by a different game. And I think this is the third time he's been on my show. So I want to give him a big warm welcome. Nathaniel, thank you for coming back on. It's good to see you. How well, are you? For sure, man. Thank you for having me. It's, it's such an honor to be back with you. And I'm, I'm doing really good, man. It's, uh, you know, it's been a journey to get to where I'm, I am in my career. And uh, thankfully, you've been a part of that journey with me. I've been on here before. And I'm, I'm really happy to be back with you again. And to, uh, for, to, to start us all off, because I, I, I didn't catch up on those shows you did on Leap Project, probably because I was I thought I was like so used to like seeing you because I've had you on my show before. But right. talk about this new show that you're going to have, bro. It sounds awesome. Yeah. Well, you know, uh, one of the very first people to reach out to me after I did Coast to Coast was Rex Bear. And, you know, I, I have a lot of respect for him. And, you know, it's, it's so funny when you're doing these shows, you know, uh, you see a lot of the guests that they have, right? The host has and stuff. And, and I like some of, you know, a lot of the, the people that he has on there. Um, some of it, you know, it's just different. And I, I love it all together. You know, I think it's a great channel. Rex Bear is amazing. And, and what he did for me was really powerful. Uh, he had reached out to me recently and I said, you know, I, you know, we see, we back up and said this, whenever we would do a show, the numbers were through the roof, through the roof, man. And I'm really thankful for that and blessed. Uh, but he invited me on to have my own show on his channel. And uh, it's my show where I get to talk about whatever I want to. And, uh, you know, if you guys know me, I can talk. Like that's the old, really the only thing I'm good at is just talking. <laughs> um, and so uh, the show itself is going to be called The Ghost Notes. And it's going to be every Thursday night at 9 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. And uh, like I said, I'm going to, I'm going to go in there and just dive in head first into my research and uh, just, you know, get deep with it, man. That's how I do. That's how that I sounds awesome, man. That sounds really yeah. cool. It's going to be called The Ghost Files? The Ghost Notes. The Ghost Notes. So let me ask yeah. you this. Will you be, you'll be getting into other stuff besides demons and the abduction phenomenon. You'll be getting into, like, what you think about spirits and the afterlife and stuff like that, right. too. 
Right. Absolutely. Yeah. So, so this is what I've been talking to some of my friends about that are in the field. You know, my research is so deep at times that it's almost like I have to compartmentalize, you know, these subjects, right? Because I can talk an hour or two just on one theory and one hypothesis. And uh, so that's really what I'm doing. I mean, we've only done three shows thus far. Uh, you can find them on, on the Leap Project channel that Rex has on YouTube. Uh, but even then, we're still scratching the surface of my research. And I think that's a testament to the depth of research that's occurring here, right? It's not just, okay, you're, you get an hour of my time and that's all, that's all I've been researching. No, you know, I had to literally take people deeper and deeper and layer it. And um, it's funny, I had somebody comment the other day that it sounded like I was repeating myself and talking in circles. And it kind of, you know, I kind of chuckled at it because at first blush, anybody that, you know, casually listens would believe that. It's not until you really listen closely that you see that what I'm doing is I am methodically pulling different narratives from different literatures and layering precept upon precept, right? And it's going to sound like it's all the same. And really, it's, it is, but it's from different areas of the field. And so when I'm done, I kind of like to tie it into a knot. And, and you know, it's going to sound the same, but I'm trying, I'm not trying to. It's just what my, my what I'm doing is proving to the listener hey, this is a behavioral pattern that's occurring everywhere. And I think one thing that holds up to your research is the fact that people aren't buying the fact that these entities are just like all benevolent, that, you know, there is is a part of the abduction or contact phenomena that wants to, you know, embrace that and only that. And and, and, and here's where I stand on it. Like, I'm like, I'll have you on my show, but then I'll have someone who says they're having good contact experiences. I want to embrace both because I like to have diversity, but at the same time, I feel like when people are being abducted out of their bed and like me and you talked about their souls are being manipulated. There's a problem. There's a problem with that. And I love how you get into it. So if you could talk a little bit about that and you know, like what what you, you know, what you think about the problem maybe with the phenomena is. Yeah, there, there is a, a movement in the field that's trying to put lipstick on the pig and say that these beings are all lovers and light. And I think it's laughable, you know. I think that to, to ignore the data and to literally, this is what's occurring in the field, literally silence negative experiences. We don't even want you in our study. We don't, wanna, we don't even want to include you in, in what we're writing, the book we're writing and the movies we're making. I think that at that point, we just have to start asking the questions really profound questions one of them are 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 some of these researchers complicit with deception yeah are they are they literally just doctoring the data to fit their their pet theory and their narrative and i would suggest that's the case because and even even if it is the case which i believe it is let's put that to the side i mean the abduction phenomenon is a human rights issue yeah it, you know, it, it, I, it, it, most, no doubt is it's what we do. I don't know if me and you have talked about this, but I've said it a million times on my show. We get catched and released like we do to dolphins right. and animals. We catch and release right. dolphins. We tag them. We talk about aliens tagging us. We And then they catch us and release us. Some of us, they don't release. Some animals, we right. don't release. So it's like the catch and release thing. So it's definitely a human rights issue. But then that makes me say, right. well, what, what are we doing to animals? But I'll, I'll digress right. and let that be for another discussion. Yeah, yeah, it's the cattle hypothesis. And uh, one of my heroes in the field was a big proponent of it to a degree. It was Dr. Carla Turner. 
And, you know, she had a lot of amazing insights. And I think that uh, if she was still alive, God rest her soul, that she would be dominating the field. I mean, she would be putting it into all this, you know, it's, it's just happy thoughts and good intentions ideology. It's, it's blasphemous. Uh, you know, and then on the, the, the tail end of that are these people that say, well, you know, they're not only taking people who are, you know, you know, they're only taking people without their consent. They're also taking people who are giving their consent to these beings. That's laughable, laughable. That's like saying, listen, the robber didn't have to break the door down because the door was unlocked. We well, let duh. him in, yeah. Right. It's really ignorant stuff that we're hearing now. And uh, I think it's time, and, and this is, you know, I'm just ranting, but, you know, whatever. I think it's time as researchers, we start embracing the fact that there are people who are, are going to ignore the data that doesn't fit their narrative, and they're going to construct something, you know, to make it look like, oh, my God, these are just the greatest things ever. They're all AT. I mean, even, you know, your greatest researchers like, like, like Jacques Fillet and the like, like him, uh, we're not even all agreeing on the fact that they're extraterrestrial. We only, like, I heard Steve Mayer say this, we only believe that because that's what they're telling us. Yeah, I think right? it was him and John Keel that talked about John Keel. Uh, they said they yeah. were, like, interdimensional. And Jacques yeah. Way also thought they might have been interdimensional. And I, and I think that, that's yeah. a, that raises a good point, you know? Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so there's a measure of deceit here that cannot be ignored. You know, I don't, I don't really care for these, these, these researchers out there, like I said, who just, you know, like I, there was one researcher out there who was telling people that if you had a negative experience, it's because you interpreted the experience wrong. Uh, I think that's complete BS. I think it's ridiculous. It's blasphemous. Uh, when a woman is abducted and, and assaulted uh, sexually, there's no other way to interpret that. And I think that we need to get rid of researchers who are trying to explain this phenomenon away by virtue of Hannibal Lecter quotes, where you tell the victim, you're just looking at the situation wrong. No, when they're abducting our babies, they're abducting our babies. When they're pulling people's souls out of their bodies, right? This is not a, a good, happy affair. And, and I think that there is some form of, of consent and tacit agreement among researchers that literally it's not just that I'm being deceived, but I'm willfully being deceived. I want this to be true, even though it's not. Um, and, you know, that, that's where I'm at with it because, yeah, it just it sickens me because I'm a grassroots researcher. And once you start to hear these stories, it's over and over again. This non-threat narrative is, um, I don't think it exists. Yeah, I, I, I totally agree. I mean, I, like I said, I'll still honor the, the contactees that want to come on my show and tell me they have good experiences, but... Usually that's with different types of races. Like what we're specifically talking about is the gray abductions. Like if you notice, like right. a lot of contactees will say they're, they're being uh, contacted by a Pleiadian. But then I had some people on my show named uh, Barry Fitzgerald and Brian Allen. They wrote a mm -hmm. book called The Deceptions of Gods and Men. And I'm a huge said, Fitzgerald fan. Huge they, Fitzgerald they said that these entities could all be the same thing. Yes. They're the angels, the demons. Yeah. So not even the angels they're saying to the good guys that they're they're all playing, you know, uh, at humanities. They're all messing with our minds. Like it's all the same thing. What are your thoughts on that? Did you ever think about that? Yeah, that's called the. Um, yeah, it's the the single field hypothesis where these are all from the same origin. I believe that. Uh, and I've tried to kind of steer away from that, you know, honestly, because. It takes a lot. It took a lot of research for me to get to that point. 
Um, but going through different behavioral patterns in ancient manuscripts, yeah, absolutely. You know, it, these beings will appear to you in the image of Jesus, Muhammad, your dear Aunt Edna, um, you know, a deceased friend. Uh, I was reading Eros and Evil uh, by Ariel Masters. It's a, just an incredible book. It's very dark and sinister, but I think it's glaringly obvious. These beings were abducting witches at nighttime, taking them to sabbats. And these, these witches are thinking that they're copulating or they're having a physical relationship with corpses and demons. And uh, somehow, again, it was like a structured theatrical performance that was going on for these witches. And so these witches are perceiving and making decisions off of what they're perceiving, right? And so they're thinking these are corpses and they're demons. And all of a sudden, a frequency would fuzz in and out, right? Like your phone has five bars, it goes down to one. And suddenly, these, these women are looking around, realizing that this, these are neither demons or corpses they're having intercourse with. That there were metallic objects that were penetrating them, right? Um, wait, it was a metallic object? Yes, 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 yes. It's the modern because the consciousness uh, possesses the metal, right? I think I read that or I heard that you say that. Yeah, yeah. Seraphim, yeah, and that's the origin of the uh, yeah, absolutely. Right, right. So is it AI or you know is it is it literally artificial intelligence or is it consciousness that is right operating within the framework? of metal. Um, but in that specific case study, absolutely, they're looking around realizing that, that these beings had manipulated their senses, completely bypassed any kind of instinctual awareness. And then, and then these people, these women were making their decisions based upon what they perceived. And so, like I said, it's a theatrical production. It's completely tailored to the witch. In this particular case. And so, so when they came to their senses, they realized, oh, my God, you know, it's neither a demon or an angel, which we'll go to that in a second, you know, not a demon or an angel or a corpse, right? Whatever is happening to me was it was a hoodwink. I was being hoodwinked and deceived. And uh, these whatever these things were, were they had tailored the metallic objects. I'm going to kind of skate around this according to the measure of a man. Okay. Oh, my God. Right? Wow. It's incredible <laughs> to the point that some of these objects were circumcised. <laughs> right? And it's oh wild, my God. And so, what these beings, though, what they did again is they tailored the experience to, to the individual. And meanwhile, what was really occurring to them, they were not supposed to be aware of. And so, it's this idea that, okay, are we experiencing reality as it really is, right? Dude, because this they is, had they, these things are devious. I mean, these these things are really devious. like this is not even funny. When I now that I laughed when I first heard it, but then I was like, I just thought, Shocking, wait a minute, this is scary. Man. It's scary. Yeah, it's really yeah, to, scary to, to to step into, and it's not just okay. I mean, let's let's read into this for a second. Uh, let's put on our researcher caps for a second. Uh, you know, uh, the witch is supposed to experience witch things, right? Yeah, yeah. Uh, and so, you know, they took her from her bed at night. I'll tell you what, let's dive into this too, because uh, this gets into the, the soul abduction <clears throat> area of the phenomenon. <clears throat> Excuse me. There are also cases in the medieval period where um, these beings would take, sounds like abduction, they would take the witch out of her bed and then replace her, and, we, and they used to use the terms of familiar spirit, 
they would replace her with an image of her in the bed to where the husband would roll over at night, go take a leak or get some water or something. And he'd think that my wife is with me when secretly they had abducted her, they had taken her. And so I think that once you, we realize that, I mean, if you look through the eyes of the man, he's thinking, okay, that's my wife and his wife's not there. Uh, it's, it's, I think that it's uh, possible that he had seen his wife was there, but they took her apparition. Just like it's very similar to Betty and Bob Luca when Bob Luca, right, rolled over and sees these beings just peel Betty out of her body. Oh, my her. God. And that's, that's right. like, it's like, a, it's like, a, it's like a, a, an OBE that's like a stimulated OBE. Sorry, I was yeah. looking for words there, but it's, that's exactly right. what it is. It's like a stimulated OBE. <laughs> yes, absolutely. And so now we have to ask the questions, um, is that person deceased or not? How long does that person have to be out of the body, right? Before we say, okay, you know, it's like somebody had commented on a show the other day that I did and said, man, I've had four near-death experiences in the last year. And somebody commented there was like, you may need to see a doctor. <laughs> like, that's not good. <laughs> right? Yeah, really, like almost to the point where, I mean, I don't, either that or they don't know the definition right, of near-death right. experience because the near-death experience I'm thinking of, I think we talked about is Pam Reynolds, yeah, no yeah. brain activity. Yeah. No, but she sees the doctor in the room, right? And did we and you talk about Pam Reynolds? I don't know if we did. I know we're, we've talked about cases that are like hers, though. Well, she, may not have been she, hers. You, I'm sure you know hers, but I mean, like, she's she's a, a real, mm -hmm. uh, real solid near-death experience case where, you know, she had no brain activity. And she basically told everybody what was going on in the room, you know. But if somebody's having those kind mm -hmm. of experiences, I, I don't wow. see how four of those could happen in a right. month. Right. And let, yeah, yeah. It's, it, and I'm not going to deny the case happened. I just, you know, no, no, yeah. It was, I know, it was I a funny comment that somebody had responded. It was like, wow. Um, you know, it, you know, that's what we have to realize here is that they're not playing by our rules. They're not playing by our theological rules. Uh, they're yeah. not, you know, it, it, sure. I mean, it's like the person that believes uh, in Jesus, they call on the name Jesus. Yeah, we've had cases where it does appear, um, but it's not, again, it's not the historical Jesus. It's, it's whatever that person envisioned him to be. Right. And that's that's even scarier because it's not just that they completely bypass the exorcistic right of claiming Jesus. Uh, you know, it's literally like they use that. They reversed it, weaponized it against us. And now they have a role to step into. Right now it's OK, I'll be Jesus to you and I'll be a demon to you. And I'm, I'm going to get to a point here. I'll be an alien to you just as long as whatever and whoever we are, you completely but do you think, I, here's what I wanted to bring up. I heard you talk about Crowley in another podcast and like yeah. the, what he channeled, which was Lamb. Right. And he right. had no idea what Lamb was going to look like. So that makes right. me think that maybe these entities might be gray alien types at their core base. What do you think? Well, I think everybody, I think everybody needs to study the word homunculus. What is it? Homunculus. It's homunculus. I'm not okay. familiar. Okay, it comes from a, a, a philosopher named Paracelsus, and he talks about small miniature men and beings that are designed and created from embryos. This is powerful stuff. And so, and so if you look at Crowley, Crowley was a magician of high magic. And so one of the things that him and Jack Parsons were trying to do is they were trying to conjure an embryonic being 
that was, it's kind of like the golem. Matter of fact, I told people that it's very interesting. This aspect of my research is getting deeper and deeper, and I'm, I'm really interested in it. Uh, but the word golem is also used in the Jerusalem Talmud to refer to Adam when he was being formed. And so what they were doing is not just conjuring an embryonic being, but an embryonic being that evolves into a small human. And if you look, and that, that was performed by high magic. Yeah. Well, weren't yeah. they trying to uh, bring it into this world through a ritual? They went out in the desert and they abused a woman and then they, they did like kind of horrible type things to her. So the child would be born from horrible type things. And then they inseminated her. Is that is that yes. kind of how it went? It was like it's called kind some of. kind of sex magic or something. Yeah, there's sex magic involved in. Sorry, I didn't mean to this, interrupt no, your train of thought. No, I just wanted. To... No, you're good. You're good. But I think that there is a, a huge connection between the missing fetus syndrome, the creation of humunculus, and the being lamb that Alistair Crowley met. By all measures, that was a humunculus creature. It was small it was somewhat humanoid and it, that's what it, what it was so when you get into the humunculus literature it really does sound like a ufo abduction account where one of the ways that these high magicians would perform this ritual is they would take these babies they put them in glass jars they thought they had created it was one of those ways they would use that to perform their rituals and so i think that um this does point to the fact that whatever these beings are that they mastered the creation of a humunculus that's what I believe Crowley had experienced was one of the one of these beings that was a humunculus creature. So a um, created creature through the creatures. Right, right. Absolutely. Yeah, I call it the, the okay, yeah, I call it the mortal portal of words and wounds. And wow. so so when we're that's what I think is the, the missing problem or the missing link rather with these scientists is that it wasn't just that Parsons, because uh, we're going to Jack Parsons here for a second, it wasn't just that Parsons was gifted at rocket science, uh, science, science whatever. It, it, was, it was literally, uh, he was performing incantations and rituals to contact these beings. And through that, that, that contact and that covenant, these beings were giving him insight and in how to create his rockets. So, so it's, it's not science or magic, it's science and magic. They, those were two components, hand in glove, that Crowley and Jack Parsons were both involved in. And I think that, uh, that the deeper you get into the Parsons technique and Crowley's literature, the sooner you'll find a lady by the name of Sybil Leek, L-E-E-K, Sibylique was a self-professed evil witch. She wasn't a good witch, right? She wasn't just somebody that goes out and plays with dirt and, you know, tries to heal people and, and that stuff. This is a later, literally like a lady that was like, look, you know, matter of fact, she told the Collins elite that she's like, listen, I'm not very well liked in my community because of the way I do things. Uh, it was to the point where, where uh, Alistair Crowley would go to her house in the United Kingdom, would sit down at her dinner table, perform rituals, right? And, and, and talk about his poetry and whatnot. Well, the Collins elite had actually interviewed her. And this is incredible. This is incredible. It's unfortunate for those who think that these are just all extraterrestrial because you would think that, that uh, she would have followed the same line of thought that Crowley and Parsons did, right? 
extraterrestrials or these are, you know, the Enochian creature, like part, you know, whatever. Well, that's not what happened. Matter of fact, when she set out her candles, lit her candles and went into a trance, a being that she did not know and did not expect took possession of her body and began laughing and scolding everybody in the room. Wow. It said word for word, well, not for word, but the, the synopsis of it is this. You guys are all fools. You think we're extraterrestrial, but that's only our newest mask. We are not extraterrestrial. We're ancient. And it was a self-professed demon. Wow. And this changes things because all we ever hear of is, you know, uh, well, I have a champ, you know, my, my guy told me A, B, and C. And, you know, again, if let's take that for instance, if that's true, if that's true, then now we need to re-examine the ET hypothesis and, and ask ourselves why it doesn't fit anymore, right? It's not like, they're you know, it doesn't fit. So, so that's worth considering, but uh, it very much occurred. And the portion of our government that did become the Collins elite, was they were there, and it was troubling, as it should be. Which way? What's, what's the Collins elite? Said, we're, we're chasing what, what, after. What's the Collins okay. elite? So it, uh, in the 1960s, a, a group in our federal government who had religious histories, I guess, upbringings, decided to create a group called the Collins elite. And their whole, so their sole purpose was to study this phenomenon and the connections it has with the occult. And so they, they investigated, you know, Crowley, they, they investigated Parsons research. They came to Ruth Montgomery, who was the, uh, she has the origin story for the walk-in theory where people are being possessed by beings that are just using their bodies. And uh, yeah, that, that was their, their entire job was to study the many occultic connections. Which I think is important because right now in the field, we have Diana Walsh-Pasuka, who is out there talking to people and saying that, that there is another group out there that is using uh, esotericism and the occult to contact these beings again. I mean, you can't make this up. Wow. So it's like so, history repeating itself. Yeah. Correct. Correct. And I think that it's important to realize what the Collins elite came to. They, they, their, their conclusion was it really didn't matter how much Jack Parsons used these beings. At the end, they used uh, Jack Parsons more. It doesn't matter how much Aleister Crowley thought he was seeing into them. They were seeing into Aleister Crowley more. And what, what they realized in their research was that these beings will give consent to us and give us a little bit of information. But it's only because they allow us in. Now, if you flip that around, you start to see the power dynamic come to the forefront. The forefront. What you'll see is that while they have to give us consent for us to tap into them, it's not the same with us. They could tap into us any, at any time they want, right? And so there's a price to be paid. And I think that even if you get a Skinwalker Ranch and Travis Taylor and all these other scientists, they're realizing, oh, yeah, sure, yeah. You'll see into the darkness until your eyes adjust to it. But every second you're seeing into it, they're peering right back into your existence, into our existence as a species. And there is a price to be paid. Uh, and that's, that's really where we're at now. And I think that's a, a very disturbing aspect of it, because if that is true, if they are using us, 
and they're allowing us to see them. The, the, the power dynamic, you know, is, is not level. It's horrible. And, uh, it's, it's, it's not troubling. One, the only one good thing I ever heard said, and I, I, I shouldn't repeat this again because I don't want to repeat myself on my show, was yeah. Lynn Buchanan, the remote viewer, came on my show, and he said that he remote viewed a couple different kinds of ETs. And he, he said the positive ones are excited about our psychic abilities because he said for them to take control of us mentally, they have to be over us, whereas we can remote view. We have long range. We have long range psychic abilities. Yeah. You know, but, but, but I mean, I don't know what that can do for us to stop an abduction because I don't know anything that can stop these abductions. You know what I mean? Like it's, it's, there's, yeah. there's not much. The data is, is inconclusive. You know, I, I know that there are people like, especially that watch my shows, uh, you know, there are people that come out and say, you know, I use the name of Jesus and these beings flee, uh, you know, and they say that because, you know, they're, they're thinking, okay, we're the majority, right? My story is the majority. And I am in no way discounting their experience or their perception of their experience. What I'm saying is that the data that we have to date right now suggests that they're, they're the minority, you know? Uh, I know people that have called on Jesus and it made it worse. You know, a couple of years back, uh, actually it was last year, I think it was. I went to Rhode Island because I was so deep in my research and I came across a case study where a lady was, uh, she felt these beings in her room. She was terrified and she, she began to pray the Lord's prayer. And in mid sentence, her eyes rolled back in her head and she's gone. Uh, and, you know, and then we just, and for people that, you know, think about that hypothesis, That's scary. Just kind of descend. Well, yeah, yeah, Absolutely. You know, it kind of, I, I, I kind of just stopped my research there and I went to Rhode Island and hung out with my friends for a little bit to kind of detach myself from it. But we can't <laughs> ignore that. You know, I think, you know, I'm not ignoring the fact that sometimes it works, but, you know, that's not something we could just throw underneath the rug and say, you know, it doesn't exist if I don't believe it. It happens. Um, so, you know, we're at, we're at a precipice now in the field where even near-death experiences, even out-of-body experiences, if we are to assume that these beings have a canopy of like a control mechanism over what we are allowed to perceive, then, then is it possible that they're in control of that next dimension too? In other words, uh, it's like when they're out-of-body abductions, people are experiencing out-of-body abductions and they're thinking they're in their body the whole time. It's not until the very end of their abduction, they materialize, they become physical again. They realize, oh my God, everything I was experiencing, I was experiencing out of body. Holy smokes. That's, right? I, I don't even know what to say to that. That's <laughs> a, that, that, that one thing that Daryl Sims told me, and I, he's a pretty well-known researcher. Like I, he, yeah. I, I asked him, I said, is there anything that can be done? He said, we've been lucky. I said, a couple people we know, they've been able to fight back. But from what you said, it seems like people are being taken, like switched off like that. But what he said is he told people, and you may laugh at this, but I thought it was a great idea because it seems like they're taking control of something in the mind. They're doing something to the brain to shut it out. So what Daryl right. said was he said that he tells kids that when they ever they whenever they start to feel something strange, like something's not right, something's coming. He said, start singing a song 
over and over and over and over yeah. and over and over, over and over in your head until it gets sickening. He said, they have other people to abduct, they'll go somewhere else. He said, if they think that they can't control your mind, I mean, that if that's the only way that we have to fight back, but I'm not sure if that'll work. I don't know. I don't, I don't know. Well, we're, we're right, right. We, we don't know the rules yet. Yeah. We don't, that, you know. I mean, it's like parapsychology, and I have a lot of respect for parapsychology and parapsychologists, but, you know, there, there's only so many times you can measure the chessboard. You can, you can count all the black squares, but none of that tells you the rules of the game. Yeah. That's, That's profound. I mean, when you think about it, like, oh, my God, yeah, 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 yeah. We can measure the presence. You know, we can say, okay, we called them on a couple meters, and, and they changed our cameras and all that stuff. At the, at the end of the day, though, that just says, okay, they're here, right? And so we're literally just measuring the dimensions of the chessboard and assuming that that somehow implies what the rules of the game are. And that's not at all true. I mean, yeah. you know, so, so getting, getting back to this idea that, uh, that they have the ability to control information, um, I am of the belief that, uh, yes, that, they, that as far back as the late Iron Age, we have evidence of these beings staring into the eyes of their victims. And I believe that they're hacking what's called the frontal orbital media cortex. It's right behind the eyes. And it's that portion of our existence, our brain, that tells us whether or not what we're experiencing is real. Right? Wow. And I, yeah, absolutely. So, you know, Dr. David Jacobs says they're hacking the optic nerve. I believe that too, but I think it's right in the brain where it's like when you go to a movie, that part of your brain is what tells you based upon your senses if what you're experiencing in the movie is real, is it happening to you or is it happening in front of you, right? Is it just a projection or is it, you know, like, like I said, with the, the uh, witch era literature, with the witches going on the sabbats and having intercultural demons, right? Like what, they know what, how to control the, green, the dream world. It's like they, they, right, they're they masters right. of the soul and masters of the dream world. And we don't even know what a dream Correct. is, really. And we don't know what a afterlife is. So how can we play the game, right? right? Does that make right. any sense? Absolutely right. 100%. It makes a lot of sense, man. And so I think you hit the nail on the head. Uh, but but the idea of these beings being dream demons does play a major role. We can't deny that. I mean, our ancestors throughout history wrote in ritual bowls, prayers, and, and exorcisms against these beings who would induce you into a dream state and just steal you away and, and just take you. You know, and I think that's a, a major player in the phenomenon where there are certain things that they cannot do to us without inducing us into a dream state. And I've seen that in ritual bowls and Akkadian texts. I've seen that in the Phoenician manuscripts. I've seen that in the 16th century with the debug phenomenon where these beings would go and they would take a woman. But before they would do that, they would induce them into a dream state. It's the same stuff. And like I said before, you know, yeah, people will think that I'm just repeating myself. I'm not, right? What I'm doing is I'm pulling a, 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 a trigger here and I'm kind of uniting all of these different parts of history together and saying that if we know what we're looking for, there are footprints in the snow here, right? There are the same beings, whether or not they, whether or not they want us to believe they're different, it doesn't matter. They're the same beings because they're, they're definitely doing the same things. So the demons are well. What we know of as demons are basically the right. aliens, or, or they're, they're right. They're, they're, and 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 it's just like you said before that this is their new face. The alien is their new face. It's the new face, 
Right. But let right. me I ask you this. Do you think that, I don't know if anybody's ever asked you this. I don't know if I have, but do you think all the different types of aliens, the Nordic, the reptile, the mantid, the gray, do you think they're all demons or do you think there could be different kinds of extraterrestrials well, out there? What are your thoughts? I, I think that everything's on the table. Um, but I also think that the Western understanding of a demon has been influenced by Western evangelicalism, which, and I'm just going to be very blunt and honest here, which is lazy researchers, very lazy researchers. And, you know, as long as they fit the religious pop culture narrative, they'll make millions of dollars, they'll go on tours, they'll show you where the fake tomb of Jesus was and all this stuff. And in reality, you know, it's just, it's a way, you know, to just do the least amount of research and get the most amount of views and, and responses. But if you want to get down to it, I mean, if we're getting down to what a demon was prior to uh, it being uh, reevaluated, reevaluated and retranslated into Jewish literature, it was a fallen angel. But how can an angel be fallen, right? And why is it that the same language that Yahweh uses in the Old Testament referring to dead people when they fell in battle is the same language he's employing with these angels? They fell. Why is it that angels are supposed to have wings? Why is it that they're supposed to fly, right? It's none of this makes any sense at all until you get into Ugaritic ritual bowls. You see that they believed that the angel part of a person was the disincarnate person, the, the ghost. That's why in the Atreus epic, it says that the ghost of a man is made from the soul of a god. And so in the Ugarit, it describes an angel as that portion of our existence that is disembodied, that can fly. Matter of fact, if you go into even the Watchers and the Nephilim in Genesis 6, there's a rabbi by the name of Eleazar, and he wrote a, a series of uh, literature. It's really good uh, scholarship. It's called the Perkei Eleazar. And Eleazar called these angels, these beings, he said they're bird-like flying spirits. What is, right? That's how angels got wings. Well, what are they? You know, it's not until you start diving into that literature, you start to flesh out a theory here that does fit into what we're experiencing. And that is, listen, um, these angels that left them their, their first, uh, first estate, they were disembodied. And it all comes down, again, to understanding uh, that these beings, at least some of them, are, were formerly human. And when they died, they mutated into these disembodied beings that are trying to replicate their species by impregnating our one. That's a whole other show. Yeah. So that's, I, I no, that's, that's, that's a hybridization program. That that is that right. what you're getting to? Right. Is that what the yes. hybridization and the missing fetuses? Right. And is this where all the hybrids are going? Is it, yes. is it populating this demonic race? Can we talk well, about well, that. I, yeah. Yeah. So check this out, man. So when you get into <laughs> possession literature, when you, the way you said that was like <laughs> it was like here well, we go, right? You know? Yeah. Well, it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a, you know, I mean, yeah. So, so I love these talks, man. I love these. These are amazing. Oh, too, this is man. your best show yet, by the way. I think, I think, because we've been oh, laughing wow. and we, we we've had some good times with it, and it's just and and yeah. also just awesome, way above par yeah. information, amazing information. Oh wow. Thank you. Man. So, Thank so you, just like, this is, it's making me in a good mood. And and I took a THC <laughs> edible before this. So that's why I'm in go. a good mood, too. I mean, I took a THC. Okay. So <laughs> I'm sorry. 
There we go, dude. That, that's a good, that's quite a combination, man. Uh, but it's well, like, I think, okay, let's 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 get right, down to this real quick. Uh, yeah. No. Well, you know, in, in possession literature, it's quite obvious that these beings were disembodied. You know, it wasn't until I got a hold of what's called the red right that all the stuff fit the bill. It all kind of merged together. And I was like, oh, my God, that's what's been occurring. Um, so, so the idea was, according to Ugaritic bowls, that there was a species called Repiumai that existed in Mesopotamia and the Levant. The Repiumai were deceased ancestors, people that had died, but they had evolved to a point in body that when they were out of body, they used what their knowledge, the knowledge they accumulated in life, they used that against the human race. Those of us who are in body, they used it against us. And so in the Ugaritic text, it calls them Repiumai. Well, when, when you realize that in the Hebrew mythology, they took Repiumai, made them angels, right? Because what did I tell you? The angel was first the disembodied portion of a person, right? The soul of a man is made from the flesh of a God. That's why the angel hypothesis is semi-divine, right? So that's what they that's what they called an angel. Matter of fact, in Ugarit, it's Malakuma, deceased ancestors, a definition of it. And again, Hebrew mythologists came out and said Malakim, Malak. Malakim. That's an angel, that's right? That's their Malakim. word for angel. That's what I thought. Yes. Yeah. That's not the... Right. And so what they did, again, is they retranslated, reincorporated into their theology. And now angel doesn't mean the same. It doesn't mean it anymore. Now we get to tell you what the angel is, what the angel means. But prior to that, they have what are called migratory loan words. Repiumai, which means a ghost, you see, ancestor, and Malakuma, an angel, a ghost, an ancestor, right? They're both of the same origin, linguistically and from the disembodied potential in every human being. Anyways, they, they were teaching at that time and they were experiencing these disembodied entity, entities that were looking for bodies to inhabit. Uh, in, in Hebrew texts, they called them unclean spirits or tumaruah. And so, so what they were doing is they were trying to recreate a body to inhabit. We would call it possession, right? And so we have texts in high magic and one of the texts is from uh, anthropologist James Frazier. He wrote a book called The Golden Bow. It's about ritual magic. But he said that these beings, when they knew that the body they were in was starting to deteriorate to the point of death. Now, now if you guys, if you guys know your stuff, you're going to think about the incubi phenomenon, the succubi phenomenon. You're going to think about the missing fetus syndrome. It's a fit. It's all the same. But anyways, what this person. Hello, incubi. It would go and create a relationship with a woman, inseminate her with a fetus, hello, missing fetus syndrome, and then it would take the fetus out and it would leave his body and then they would place his consciousness in that fetus. And so now it has a new body. Like Chucky. Chucky. Exactly right. Exactly right. Oh, my so God. That, that, you... That's insane. Makes sense, doesn't it? Makes yeah, sense. It yeah. Make sense. So now you have the software in the hardware. Now, now the reason this is so profound is because we as demonologists, or at least I as demonologists, I knew this as the incubus phenomenon, right? The incubus phenomenon, for those who aren't familiar, is where a spirit that appears as a male goes to a woman and inseminates her with the baby, right? And then in the missing fetus syndrome, 
it's when that woman is pregnant with the fetus, and then four months later, it's gone. What these are is the diff, these are the various components of the same event, the same experience, where one of these beings dislodges itself and then takes a baby and places his consciousness in it. It's called the red rite. Matter of fact, now this is very interesting too. When you get into the Apocryphon of John, it's an Egyptian uh, Coptic manuscript. I talk about it a lot. Uh, it's about Genesis 6. It talks about how these beings stared into the eyes of their victims. Hello, UFO abduction. But they appeared first as apparitions, right? They're disembodied. And so what they were doing is they were copulating with women and creating copies of the same body. Why? Because when that body dies, they could just happen to the next and the next and the next. And so the reason why people, okay, people are saying, well, if they're a threat to us, why don't they just annihilate us? Well, listen, the only way they can self-replicate themselves, self-replicate, is by replicating us as a species. And so what they'll do is they'll use the mortal portal of wounds to create the hardware that they possess. Oh, Matter of fact, shit. Right, you get it? Now you're catching it. So that's the incubi phenomenon. That's the red right. That's Genesis 6. That's the missing fetus syndrome. Even down to the point where Betty Luca was abducted and she asked one of them, where are you getting these these, these little men with big eyes, right? The humunculus. Where are you getting these beings? And they said, we're creating them from the babies we're taking from the womb. Wow. Hand in glove. So, so right, we're having, we're having the software of disembodied consciousness. So wait, I got a question. What do you think yeah. the, the whole UFO jazz is for? Like the, the, the hardware, the nuts and bolts shit? Like, like uh, I, you know, I, I think it's real. for show or what, what are they doing that for? Is it to throw us off? No, no. I think that there's only so much they can do with our physical body, right? Because you have the physical body, then you have what's in the body, the soul. I believe that they're in the soulish dimension, but they have to have something to enter this world that's physical. Uh, Leslie Keene even did this. It's fascinating. Leslie Keene, she worked with psychics and and people that conjured apparitions, right? And I think his name was Albert. I think it was the one of the uh, psychics she was working. I forget his name. Anyways, she talked about how these beings would dip their hands in clay molds, right? And so the substance of the disincarnate apparition had a constitution to it. It wasn't just right, just some etheric being. No, it was a constitution to it. And so what the clay was doing, it was conforming to the apparition that was in it. And so, again, I think that there are definitely nuts and bolts qualities to it, but that's not a new technology. Uh, Like we were talking about earlier in necromancy, which, again, if we're dealing with disembodied beings, right, we're dealing with possession, then we need to realize that these beings understand the nature of the soul, which would also make sense as to why they can pull it out of bodies. Why? They're out of body. They know all this. And so an ancient technology, especially it's found in the late Iron Age, is when a necromancer would go and carve the name of an unclean spirit, a disembodied ghost, carve that name into metal, the consciousness of that entity would merge with the metal, then they would implant, hello, ufology, implant that into a body, and that consciousness that was once in the metal is now in the metal and in the body, and it stretches itself out into what demonological literature calls the social skin. 
Now it has a body. But the key point here that I'm making is that the consciousness merged with metal. And so it's almost as if the metal itself is alive to a degree. It's not AI in the sense of it's a fake intelligence. No, it is a real consciousness, but it's learned to self-replicate and merge with the metal. This is why I think it was 60% of our abductees are on crafts that are alive. Wow. Right? And the so craft we're is with... a living being itself. It's a, it's a yes. living entity. Right, yeah. right, right. So it all fits this, this idea of, again, you know, are the angels? I believe they are, but they're not angels in the sense of Western scholarship. Right? Uh, in theology, especially hermeneutics, we have what's called the right of first use. And most researchers only use that within the context of the, the scriptures. Let's go before that. What was it before we were told what it was, right? What was it? And that the angels, again, it fits the bill. Uh, but they were both Rephaim, disincarnate consciousness, and that ghost of a man, God, right? That flesh of a God. That's their apparitional quality. Um, and I can keep going, but I'll just shut up. <laughs> wow, wow. That's that's insane. This is all good groundbreaking information, man. Like it's so Thanks, what, what it makes me think, and, and this is really trippy, is how yeah. lucky are we to have a body and what does that mean when we don't have a body? Because if they're trying so hard to get into back into a body. Is right. that bad news for the afterlife? And I'm not trying to end this on a oh. grim. I'm not trying to end this on a grim note, but like, you know what I mean? Like yeah. that—that's something you have yeah. to think about, right? It, yeah, Jay. Okay, so so the idea is that possession was pregnancy. That's what they're. That's what they believed, and that's why in the 16th century you'll see start to see these different nuances of the same, the same behavioral pattern. The behavioral pattern is. The, a person becomes disembodied when that body fails to exist. It just, you know, it's dying. They leave. They form a bond with the female. They inseminate her with the baby. And then they take the baby and possess the baby as if it's their own body. It's their um, own reincarnation all, cycle. Yes, yes, yes. Matter of fact, matter of fact, guys, this is going to blow your mind too. In the Golan Heights region, there's what's called the Gilgal Rephaim. The Gilgal Rephaim is a reference about these beings, reference to these beings, okay? Rephaimai. And what I just said, in ritual bowls, they were deceased people, okay? The Bible calls them men of renown, and people confused that, oh, my God, they're talking about the children of these men. No, we're talking about how these beings use the mortal portal of skin and flesh to replicate. And matter of fact, in the Golan Heights, they have Gilgal Rephaim, which means the wheel of souls what they were describing it was a graveyard they were describing the transmigration aspect of these beings where it, it's similar to reincarnation where they're born they die reborn they die they're reborn and so they formed a wheel but really what they're doing again is it's almost like they're in a, they're in a certain dimension where they don't want to be too embodied for too long and there's a theory amongst some researchers that it's because they don't want to be judged. It's a theory. Wow. So as long as they're in, so, but anyways, yeah. Uh, but, but James Frazier touches on that aspect of it. And I think it's phenomenal. Uh, he talks about how these soldiers, when they were on the battlefield, which these were warriors, again, Repiumai, hunters of men, uh, that their body was dying. And again, they would dispossess their body. That's why, that's why in the Bible it says they left their first estate. That's the King James Version. 
what they do, they dispossess their body and they possess someone else. Um, so yeah, so possession is pregnancy to them. And I think that it's a, it's a very interesting aspect of it. And I think it's worthy of more research. Wait, okay. So do you think that we have like a, this is the last question. I don't want to keep, yeah. I know you, no, it, but do, you, do you think we have an eternal soul then? Do you think we reincarnate? Do you think that they want a piece of that? Or do you think that we have one life to live and that's it? I mean, and I by know. the way, also, I know where the Golan Heights is because I'm part Lebanese, but the Golan Heights okay. is actually in Jerusalem and Israel. It's a, it's a yep. split between yep. both. And I, I think you were yep. referring to the Israeli side because they, they, they would be more yep. altered than that, I think. Right. Is that is that true? Right. Right. Yeah. Yes, but, that's exactly right. Yep. But, and, um, and yeah, so it's the, the, the wheel of souls. That, that's important because when we're interpreting the, the, the uh, Ezekiel's wheel, right, when the Bible says that the spirit of the creature was in the circle, in the ring, right, what we're dealing with, again, is a form of consciousness that can possess a body. You, I don't want to go down that. Yeah, yeah. So you're, you're right. Um, I, I don't know. I don't know, honestly, uh, if we are reincarnated. I know that there's evidence by Ian Stevenson and uh, other researchers that that's the case. But again, but you, you're uh, pretty sure you think we have something special, right? They, they all, we obviously have something special that they want. Obviously, they wouldn't be playing this yeah. game, right? This, there right, wouldn't, this right, wouldn't right, even right. happen. They would just probably eat us or, or not even eat us or just dispose of us or not even that. They would probably just leave us alone. They would find something else to inhabit. Like, we obviously have something that they want. So we all this happen. I mean, right? Yeah. Yeah. Well, well, I think that's true to a degree. Um, but this gets back into us being completely ignorant of the rules. Yeah. You know? I mean, yeah, that's when, true. When they're peeling a soul, uh, when, when they're peeling a soul out of a body, uh, it's disturbing to me because that is the most hidden aspect of our existence. It's what yeah. we're the most ignorant of. You know, I yeah. mean, we know more about cows and basketball and soccer and steaks and all of this. We know all kinds of things about all kinds of things. Well, me and you know more about out-of-body experiences because we, I, I have Robert Monroe's right. book. I mean, like, I, I tried to have out-of-body experiences, but I've only been out of body once. I only popped yeah. out of body for like a second. But like, yeah, I, I get what you're saying. It's not a pop culture thing. In the least bit, right? Yeah, it's it's the right, it's not right. people aren't trying to have OBEs like I am. Like it's that's not that's <laughs> not a part of our reality. And, and but I, I, yeah. I think once you have an OBE, it helps you think realize that you do have a soul, though. You know, right, right, right. There are yeah, there's two versions of you. Uh, matter of fact, they asked Betty Luca. This is wild, dude. They uh, they asked her, "Do you remember when you split into two? <laughs> Like when they, when her soul was here or whatever we want to call it, astral body, whatever, and her body was here. And so it looked like there were two hers there. There were two Bettys there at the same time. Um, but, you know, I think that's the most disturbing aspect of this phenomenon is that they're, they're, they're hacking our beliefs. They're weaponizing our memories against us. Uh, not only that, but again, they're pulling our souls out of our bodies without our permission. And like I said before, we have abductees who still, some of them still to this day believe they were abducted in their bodies. But what's happening is after uh, regressive hypnosis and everything, they realized, oh my God, they took my soul, not my body. And I want to suggest this. I know we're, we're, we're rounding to the, the end of this, but um, I don't believe that just because these people returned that they made it back. 
Wow. That's deep. That's deep because that means something else made it back. Yes. As a matter of fact, yes, Betty Luca had a lady who was not cooperating with these beings. And they pointed to the corner of the room and she saw a lady. It was her. This is what the, what the pocket friend of John said. It said they made copies of the same body. And so they had a copy of her body and they told her, if you do not cooperate with us, we'll kill you and we'll replace you with that body. And no one in your world will know the difference. And that's why I say not everybody who has been abducted has made it back. Wow. Wow. Right. Uh, I'm going to need to decompress <laughs> after this one. Jesus Christ. But I'm, it's, it's, it is insane, bro. Like, this is like. Right. This is, it's, it's like, it's so wild, but I mean, cause I, I, no, I really have compassion for people who are going through this phenomena. You know what I mean? Right. I really have a, a even more, yeah. I, I don't know what to think, you know? I mean, I, I, yeah, it's, it's chilling. It's chilling. You know, it's like, it, so, so I'm not saying that there wasn't a version of them returned. There's an aversion of them going to work and paying their bills and have good credit and everything. I'm not saying that, but I'm saying again, is that I mean we, we have we have case studies of like one individual a young man who was in a catastrophic motorcycle accident and he's out of body this is what this is your death experience he meets these beings and these beings tell him your doctors do not have the scientific uh, wherewithal to put your body back together again so you're going to die but if you become our prophet and do everything we want you to do we'll heal your body put you back to your body again and you can continue living. He lived to tell a story, but how many people pushed back, right? How yeah, many people wow. throughout history who we thought who we thought were murdered or they went missing, like David Pilates mentions, but they weren't. They were just taken by these beings because they refused to play the game. Uh, so, yeah, just because some of these abductees have returned doesn't mean they made it back. We could very well be dealing with the consciousness that did exactly what they threatened this woman to do. Yeah, we have another body that's just like you. This has been amazing. Yeah. This is this is wow. I don't <laughs> even know what to say. So let me ask you this real quick, like quick. Like I don't know if I ever asked you this. Like, I, what are your thoughts on Yahweh and Jesus? Like, do you think Jesus was a real man? Um, the reason why I ask you this, ladies and gentlemen, if you don't know, Nathaniel has a family who's comes from. They know. They know about they know about these things. Like they, they, you know, I'm not saying he was religious because you don't want to say anybody's. You don't know their faith. I don't know your faith, but I know your family was. A, you were a minister, or your dad was right at one point. Dad, or something. Yeah, my dad. My dad's a pastor, and so I grew up in a house of a scholar. Right, so I I, I hung out with uh, rabbinic teachers and scholars, picked their brains. They would come and lecture at my dad's church and stuff, and so you know a lot of it from Israel. It's very you know. So I had a very rich heritage of scholarship. Um, I tend to believe that he did ex believe that he did exist. I mean, even the preeminent Bart Ehrman, who evangelicals think he's a heretic, I don't care. Even he says Yeshua, is, you know, existed. But what's happening is there's kind of a, a, a disconnection, a disconnect between what Westerners think Yeshua taught or Jesus and who he actually was. He was a Jew, Jewish rabbi in every way. He kept Torah. He went to the synagogue every Sabbath. Um, and yes, you know. Josephus mentions him. We have, uh, you know, secular historians that mentions him. But again, you have to know who he was. And he wasn't just this, this, you know, love and light teacher that people wanted to be. 
Um, but yeah, that, that's my position on that. And then real quick, I know we don't have a lot of time. What about Yahweh? Because I have a lot of people who think Yahweh might have been Enlil of the Anunnaki because it's weird. It's the Old Testament position. He's a little bit testy, you know, and then in the New right. Testament, he's like this recreated person. It's not like, you know, it's well, yeah, it yeah, that's... Human, it could be humanity putting a face on God. I don't know. What do you... Well, I think that in order to understand what the Enlil concept was, you have to go to Lil Spirits. This is incredible stuff, but this is this is a whole other show, but let's touch on this for a moment. Um, you know, in Lil, Lil, what is a spirit? It's a, it's a Phoenician word, Lil, and it originated again from the soul that departs the body at the moment of death. And in the Egypt, Egyptology, it's called the Ba'a soul. And uh, so in Lil, what are we dealing with? Again, it's, it's almost like we're dealing with consciousness that's disembodied. Uh, wow. Matter of fact, if we get into the Old Testament, and we start in, right? We start asking our, I mean, like Pentecostalism, why do they think they have the Holy Ghost? Right? What are we dealing with here? Uh, and so, so like, even like when, when Yeshua's baptized, the dove, the Holy Spirit lands on him. Well, who defines what that dove was? And why do we believe it's the Holy Spirit? Well, not number one, because that's what they said in the Bible, but also because that has a precedent throughout millennia especially in your Cadian, Phoenician, Mesopotamian text, the dove always represented the disincarnate spirit that left the body like a bird. That's why in the book of Ezekiel chapter 13, Yahweh calls these beings soul hunters, those who hunt the souls of men in order to make them fly, right? Why? Oh. I like birds, right? And so, so, and this is one thing that I've been, not really wrestling with my dad about, but just poking at him, question him, okay, what do you think about this? But again, I think that uh, in order to interpret the New Testament, you have to look at the Old Testament because that's the lexicon for these terms. Yeah, yeah, it, it, it's so it's so interesting. Like, it's this is, we got to do another show all together sure. on like the Anunnaki sure, and, and Jesus yeah, and man. Yahweh and yeah. stuff like that. Like, if you ever want to do that, we can do that in a couple months or something, you know? That's fun. That'll work, yeah. brother. I look forward yeah. to it. But uh, thank you again for coming on. This was probably, I think this was, I'm not going to lie, this was yeah. one of the best shows we ever did. I think it was great. I think it was <laughs> awesome. It was, it was Thanks, awesome. Brother. And uh, people are going to be a little bit frightened after this, I think. But I mean, you know, I, I, there, there's good reason to be. <laughs> I don't mean for that to happen, but. It's, uh, it's, it's, this is wild. Yeah, we're, uh, as a species, we're, we're more vulnerable. When we when we sleep, Most definitely, man. When we sleep, we're, we're we're more vulnerable when we sleep, right? Yep, that's why they're called. That's why our ancestors called them dream demons, because yeah. again, this is this is this cannot be overstated. Why were why did we believe that these beings are nocturnal? Well, because the belief originated in the soul being nocturnal. That when you're asleep, the soul leaves the body. Yeah, they right. say that when you have a when you go to sleep, you astral travel at night. I've heard that in Correct. the new in the not new age theories, but in just like the esoteric theories, you know. Right, right, and and it's not an accident that that's when these beings are the most active, right? And so it's almost as if we leave our bodies and we step into their dimension, and at that moment is when we are the most vulnerable when they can snatch the soul, and I, I do believe one hundred percent that's why they will induce people into that sleep state. Yeah, if you ever notice, if, if you ever listen to abduction stories, like when people are driving down the middle of the road, they'll get turned off right in the middle of driving, and they'll wake up and they're right. three miles down the road and they're pushed forward to the pedal. 
Right. <laughs> no, but, right. You know what I Dude, mean? Like this is God. real stuff that happens. Like it's like yeah. I hear it on Linda Moulton Powell all the time. It's, it's right. Like it's like it's it's crazy. It's 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 crazy. I don't know. Yeah, the the the, the bilocation phenomenon is uh yeah, it's disturbing. Of course it is, man. It's chilling to the bone. Uh the Collins Elite was researching a lady by the name of Judy Doherty. She was a young lady and uh Judy Doherty had a UFO sighting. She was in her car on a dirt road in the, day, in the middle of daylight, just driving. And she sees this UFO. She gets out of her car, looks up at the UFO, and instantly, now she's looking out of the UFO at her own body. And so her soul is staring down at her own body that's looking up in the ship that she's in, in the ship that she's in. So the bilocation was instantaneous, and now her gaze is connected. She's literally looking into her own eyes. What the hell are we dealing with here? Wow. That's insane. That's an insanity. That's, yeah. it, it, wow. Wow. Well, we'll have to pick this up yeah. next time, and uh, this gives me a lot to think about, man. This is a lot to think awesome. about. Awesome. That's good. Well, I'll, I'll good, send man. you a link when I post it, man. Thank you. Okay. Not All a right. problem, brother. Have a good night, man. Talk to you soon. You, you too, brother. Bye.